He knows me. He knows every dirty, rotten thing about me. And he loves me. And he walks with me. And he leads me and cares for me. And what a precious time uh, this morning is in, in reflecting on that. You know, it's, it's interesting that um, what we enjoy here this morning, um, many of us who are here had nothing to do with what exists today. And uh, God has used people in the past. Uh, and what we enjoy today is uh, many of you who are here who prayed and served and, and gave and, and sacrificed that we might enjoy what we have. And um, uh, one of the pastors that God used in a really wonderful way was Pastor David Petrescu. And, uh, and his wife and widow is here. Ren, would you stand up, please? God used, God used uh, this couple in, in really a, a very signal way here. Uh, they had a vision for something more. We had a little church. It still is there, uh, downtown um, uh, Unionville. And they had, they had a vision for God doing something bigger and greater uh, that, that couldn't be facilitated in, in that old building. And, and uh, so by faith, they led us to purchase property and to uh, build this uh, some 30 years ago. And, and so uh, I am so glad that you could be here. And see what God has preserved for his people and what he has done. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I covet your prayers. It's uh, late this week. I'll be heading to India and we'll be working and, and doing some teaching there. Uh, pray for us as we go that God would, would bless these pastors and missionaries uh, whom we are working with. I tell you, the, the first time I, I, I went to India and I saw um, the, the lack of what they had to work with in ministry compared to what we have education, resources, all kinds of things that we have that they don't have the, the same way we do. And uh, God just burdened my heart for so many of these uh, workers who uh, are, are just pouring their lives into it but have had very little uh, training opportunities. And so we just count it a great honor and privilege to uh, join with uh, brothers and sisters who are working there for the sake of the gospel. So as you remember us, uh, we would so much appreciate uh, that. Well, we've been talking the last little while about encountering Jesus. And we were talking uh, last week about how God created us with, with a hole inside us, with a part of us that only he can satisfy. And, and I shared with you the testimony of a woman last week who who tried everything and everything that she could do. And, and every time the, the sense of satisfaction was so fleeting, it was there for a moment and then gone. And, and not until she found out that, 
that Jesus Christ could fill that hole, that void uh, in her. And, and uh, so, but, but all, all of us in some senses are, are, are looking for that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in us that uh, we may not have. And we may seek it in popularity or achievements, or we may talk about our body image or recognition that we get or uh, pleasure or relationships or, or knowledge and education and, and even a lot of good things like, like helping people and volunteerism and, and all of those kind of things. And, and uh, we, we just we want to fill that void in that hole. That sense of there's something not right in us. There's something that more. There's something that we need. And sometimes we go down that path and we try one thing and another and we, we find ultimately we're not, we, we don't find fulfillment in that. And sometimes we pursue one area and we get on a track and we, we're looking to that. Uh, and and we, we stay in that place. Last week we talked about a woman who was, who was seeking something, seeking some fulfillment. And her way to seek that fulfillment was in relationships. And when Jesus met her, he said, go call your husband to come. She said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You don't have a husband. The guy you're living right with right now is not your husband. And you've had five husbands. And it was just failure after failure after failure, looking for something that would satisfy her soul. And she didn't find it until she found Jesus. And this morning, we're going to confront an, another uh, person, uh, another person who had a deep need and was looking for something. And uh, uh, what he did, what, what really caught him, and which catch, catches so many people, uh, was uh, to find happiness and contentment in money and material goods. And money and material things can provide a lot of things for you. There, there can be a certain kind of sense of security you have if you have enough money and you, you can have status. And there's, there's this lure of, of, that money has, uh, particularly for us. And the Bible has a lot to say about the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, and, and it has a lot to say uh, about about chasing riches and what that means. The Apostle Paul would tell us that, the, that uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and I know what you're thinking. I'd, I'd love to, you know, things are tight for us financially. Oh, I, I'd, I'd like to have a little taste of having some more money or something like that. But you find that it, it never really satisfies. I remember when we were in business, I had another life before ministry. And, and um, I remember we had a very wealthy person uh, in our city, had major, major real estate holdings all over. And uh, I sold him equipment. And I went to take that equipment out and set it up for him. And uh, he lived uh, out in the country, and uh, it, it was a gated uh, estate, and pushed the button, opened the gates, and I came in. I, I remember going into the house, and there was this outdoor, in the middle of the house, there was this outdoor uh, place with, with a big statue in it. And uh, he took me down to the place where, the, where we would uh, install the equipment, and it was like a 60-foot... Um, uh, family room, all in rosewood. And uh, here's the sad thing. Here's the guy who had all this stuff in this huge palatial dwelling. His wife had left him. 
His kids would have nothing to do with him. And he's walking around carrying a toy poodle, uh, you know, a miniature poodle. And I'm thinking, man, it, it, it didn't work for you, did it? You, you, you were able to buy anything you want, but you couldn't buy a satisfaction. You couldn't keep your relationship together. You couldn't do it. And, and, and so it is. Uh, and, and money is a seductive kind of thing. We, we want more and more and more of it. I know uh, the uh, uh, millionaire John Rockefeller was asked once, how much money is enough? He said, just a little more, just a little more. Uh, you know, we're, we're not satisfied. When, when we reach this level, we want more. And when we get there, we want more. And there's nothing of ultimate satisfaction for us. And so Jesus is going to confront a man who, who uh, he wanted, he, he thought that the, the way to happiness and contentment and fulfillment in life is to have money. And uh, so we, we have Jesus coming to town. Uh, he's, he's making his last journey, heading to Jerusalem, knowing that when he was heading to Jerusalem, what this was going to involve, it, it was going to involve him going to the place where he's going to sacrifice his life on a cruel cross. He's going to die there. And he's going and, he, and he, he is moving inexorably. Nothing will stop him from going to fulfill his mission. So as he's coming, he comes to the town of Jericho. And uh, Jericho is just a, a few miles uh, west of the Jordan River. And it's a major uh, trade route. It's a major town. Uh, it's about 25 kilometers from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is going there uh, to the town. And uh, it says he entered Jericho and was passing through. Passing through because he's got a destination he wants to go to. And, and here he is uh, making this trek. And wherever Jesus was, the crowds just gathered in throngs and throngs of people. His teaching was like nothing they had heard. Uh, he, he did things. He, he uh, did miracles. He healed people. He helped people. And so wherever he went, uh, they were there. Uh, following him, wanting whatever they could get from him. So he's, he's entering through, and the crowds gather, and uh, there's, a, there's a guy. They're just on the outside of town, just coming into, into town, and uh, there's, there's a beggar, a blind beggar. And uh, if you did nothing else, all you could do is try and hope that people would be a little bit... Uh, generous and give you something and so you'd sit by uh, the road and in, in a place where people would travel and he hears the commotion and he says uh what's going on and somebody says well jesus of nazareth is coming and this set him off he'd heard everybody had heard about jesus and what jesus had done and, and so here he is this guy sitting on the side of the road and, and he starts crying out jesus son of david have mercy on me, Jesus, son of David. And they try and shut him up. Be quiet. Just leave it alone. And he won't. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, bring him here. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. God opened his eyes. Jesus opened his eyes. And, and the crowd is praising God for what Jesus has done. They're ecstatic at all of this, having seen what, what's going on. 
And uh, here, here he was, instantaneously healed. And the people are crazy wild praising God for him. Uh, there was a guy who wanted to see Jesus, and he was short of stature, and so he couldn't, uh, he couldn't seem to get close enough to the crowd, so he went ahead. He ran ahead of them, and uh, he climbed up into a tree. Uh, the man by name was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Um, I'll show you a picture. There's, there's a picture of a sycamore tree. So you imagine, that's a great tree-climbing tree, right? I might even be able to... Mm, nah. <laughs> Maybe not. But this guy got up the tree because he couldn't get near the crowd. He, and, and, and when he climbs up the tree, he, he gets a, a view of Jesus. And uh, we're told his name is Zacchaeus. That's a Hebrew name. It's a name that had a meaning. And a lot of time we, we have names that we give our kids because we like the sound of the name not because of the meaning of the name, but a lot of times in, in the, the Bible times, you named somebody uh, a name that would give you a, a sense of what your hopes and aspirations were for that person. And his parents called him Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus meant um, clean and innocent. That's what they'd hoped for him. Sadly, the, the, the tag was misleading. You see, Zacchaeus, we find out, was a tax collector. Someone who had consorted with imperial Rome, someone who was, uh, when, when uh, Rome came in and overran Israel, they took over, and uh, they, uh, they used brutal force where they had to to control the crowds, so they, there was a hatred for them. They didn't have uh, autonomy, they could only do what the Romans would let them do, and the Romans wanted something else. The Romans wanted money by way of taxation. And what they did was they let uh, people uh, have positions of taxation who were Israelites there. And so what you had happening was a person is collecting taxes for the enemy from their fellow citizens. Um, and because the Romans didn't care what you did, as long as they got the money they wanted, they didn't care what you did. And so what tax collectors would do was, and it was fair of them to put something on that would cover their costs as well. Although if you, uh, what, what they did a lot of them was they really wanted the money. And so they extracted, extorted from people uh, more and more until they could get rich. And so here's a guy, he's a tax collector, he's uh, working for the enemy, if you will, and um, he has the protection of Rome, and not only is he a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. I mean, this is, a, this is head honcho. This was a big boss. This is the guy who was paid the most. This is the guy who's in charge of everything. He led a group of extortionists. He was at the top of his profession. He was chief, and he was rich. He was 
wealthy. Now, here's, here's what you need to understand, too. To, to Jericho was a major, major trade route, and you could tax things going into your territory. So those who would be coming from the east and the north would come, and, and they would go, often cross at Jericho, uh, at, at, at Jericho, go through Jericho to Jerusalem, or they would go down to Egypt. So he's in a place that is coveted. He's in a place where there's a lot of business and a lot of money to be made. It's an affluent city, and... Uh, and he had everything that you could want, that money could buy. It was his. And, and he became addicted to it. The more you get, the more you want, the more you want. And, and, and he, he climbed the ladder of success, had a beautiful home, ate the best foods, could, could hire people to take care of things for him. And, but, but this money thing was wearing thin. He, he had it all, but he didn't have a sense of fulfillment in his life. He could have everything it could provide, but it couldn't provide anything because, you see, he sold his soul for material wealth. He consorted with the enemy. He ripped off his own people. And when the people talked about tax collectors, they were the, like the worst of the worst. In fact, they had their own category of badness. In fact, over and over in the Gospels, it says there were tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes could get thrown in there, but they had their own categories, the bad, bad people. I mean, how could you do this to your own people? How could you get wealthy from them by by, uh, extorting all of this money from them? And and so they they hated him. He was filthy. He was dirty. No wonder he couldn't see Jesus. Do you know, you, when you're walking through a crowd, they knew who he was. He's a little guy. Hmm. They'd, they'd bump into him. They'd, they'd maybe kick him or do something. And, and he knew he wouldn't get to the front of the line to be able to see Jesus. Hence, he goes up the tree. Obscured by the crowd, too short to be noticed, too bad for anyone to even care, except for Jesus. And so there's an unexpected encounter that he has with Jesus. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And I want you to think about this. He can't, he can't get near them. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody wants to touch him or see him or hear him or have him do something for him. And, and he's going, as he's going through here, uh, Jesus stops and he looks up and he addresses Zacchaeus by name. And he did something <laughs> that most of us wouldn't do. He invited himself to dinner. He said, come down, hurry up and come down because I must go and spend time with you today. Uh, and, and I can imagine when Jesus stops and he looks up and, and Zacchaeus is looking down and he says, uh, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is going. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Make haste. Get down here uh, because I need to spend time with you today. Just using his name. How does he know his name? He knows. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows everything you've done. He, he knew Zacchaeus. See, this wasn't an accident. 
This wasn't just a happenstance as he, as he comes through town. Jesus had an appointment. It's interesting, there's a little, there's a little Greek word that, that is used by Luke in Luke and Acts over and over and over again. And, and it's it, it basically translated, said, you know, I must something. I must do something. In this case, come down because I, I must go to your house. Now, whenever that is used, you see the weight of it is, there's a divine appointment in that. Uh, he, he, was, he must go to Jerusalem because he had to die on the cross for us. Uh, and, and I must talk to you. I, I must spend time with you. Come down. This is a divine appointment that he has. He, 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 this is all in the plan of God. This was him seeing ahead, understanding who would be there and what the deep need would be. And, and Zac, uh, Zacchaeus would have this in a, encounter with him from which he would never recuperate or be the same. You know, do we need to recognize also that there are times when, when that little word can be used about us, when God is saying, hey, I need to, I need to have an encounter with you for Jesus to say that. Uh, you know, let me say, not one of us who's here today is here by chance. We are here because God has ordained that we would be here and that we would meet with him and connect with him. And there's this divine necessity in this all, this appointment that Jesus has with all of us who are here, not just Zacchaeus. And and we need to be aware that there are opportunities that come, and we need to seize those opportunities. They may not happen again. And and that's why there's this urgency Come down. I must go to your house today. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul quotes the Old Testament in 2 Corinthians 6. He said, in essence, take advantage of the opportunities God gives you because you don't know what opportunities you'll have. Don't squander the opportunities. And he says this, now is the accepted time. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. When when Zacchaeus got up that day, he never dreamt that there would be an encounter. He didn't know it was happening. He didn't know that Jesus would be coming. He didn't know that they wouldn't let him see him, that he would go up a tree. And Jesus, of all people, would call him to come down and to and to uh, uh, and, and, uh, spend time with him. And none of us is here by accident. He knows our name. He knows everything about us. And he calls to us, come, I want to spend time with you. Zacchaeus wasn't uh, going to miss this opportunity for anything. And I think that there was a deep longing in his soul because he was alienated from the community. The only person that would spend any time with him would be tax collectors. Everybody else would have nothing to do with him. And now you'd wonder how the crowd would respond there was absolute universal disapproval. The response of the crowd was one of disdain, and, and they couldn't understand why Jesus would, would dare even contemplate going to a house like that. Because for them, that was, that was dirty, it was tainted, it was filthy, and, and their, their sense was this. If you went with him, well, you'd be dirty too. You'd be like that rotten tax collector. 
the public opinion turned against him. The same crowd who was praising God at, at the miracles they saw are now going, they're grumbling, they're mumbling, they're complaining. All the people saw this, all the people, and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He certainly doesn't have good judgment. All the things we thought of him. You know, the the public opinion can change so quickly. Here's this same crowd, and, and now they're grumbling and complaining. And Jesus goes to the house of a sinner, and he's going to eat with them. Do you know what it means to eat with somebody? It means to have intimate, close fellowship with them. And you would never do that with a tax collector. And you can think of the worst people, serial murderers or pedophiles or whatever. And, and, and Jesus was willing to reach out to somebody like that. Zacchaeus had alienated himself from the community. But, but Jesus saw in something that he w- was redeemable in him. There was something that he could do in his life. And uh, this despicable person... They wanted to separate themselves from him. But Jesus was not deterred. The, the bad life that Zacchaeus had lived isn't something that would keep him away. He loved Zacchaeus. He knew everything about him. He knew how wrong he'd gone, how he disappointed his parents, how he'd, he'd ripped people off. He knew all of that stuff. He could see through the deceitful, greedy lifestyle. And he could see a broken human being, a soul that had been crushed, a soul that was looking for something and couldn't find it, and there was no way out, and nobody would love or care for him. He was dirty and guilty and despised. But Jesus loved him. And and it doesn't matter how bad you've been and how terrible you've been and how ashamed you are of things that you've done in your past. And and you may think your life is unredeemable. There's nothing that could be done for you. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ knows your name and, and he can call you. And don't miss that encounter with him because it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. There's still hope in Jesus Christ. You know, there are many ways that uh, we're disadvantaged in life. We may not know the right people to get into the right occupation or the right school. We may not have the money sufficient to do that. Uh, we may not have the, uh, uh, the talent or ability or the intellect. Uh, we may be too old or too young or uh, maybe not educated enough or have deficiencies or we're not athletic enough. There are all kinds of ways that we can be disadvantaged in this life. But thank God, no one is disadvantaged with Jesus. In fact, in Luke 4, when Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament from Isaiah 61, about what Jesus, what, what the Messiah would do when he comes. He, he, said, he said in Luke 4, he said, he was anointed to preach good news to the poor. Are you poor? Are you, are you destitute? He has good news for you. He, he says not only that, uh, but uh, he's, he'll provide freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, 
These are the people who are disadvantaged. These are the people who can't get ahead. And, and, and Jesus said, you know what? You're not disadvantaged with me. I open my arms to you. I call you and, and to, to come to be with me. And, and in fact, the reality is some of the people who have the most money are disadvantaged because they're trusting in those things. They, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not taking care of, of those things. What The advantages they have can make them self-centered, self-reliant. And here, responding to this guy... And and what he does, and and they may be uh, they may have that attitude, uh, but you ever heard the saying the proof is in the pudding or the proof of the pudding is in the eating is really the full thing, you know there's got to be something realistic you you can you can pray a prayer and walk away and and not be changed at all. Um, we're not privy. He spent a day with him. We don't know what their conversation went like. Uh, we're, not the, we're not given that. We know, though, that something absolutely profound happened in the life of this guy. Uh, we know that Jesus did something to radically transform him. He reoriented everything this man lived for, everything this man cared about. And, and we see a man who is radically transformed from a selfish, greedy, cheating, materialistic guy to an honest, generous, caring, clean, innocent man that God intended him to be. God did something amazing in his heart. When, when God does this work, there's evidence of it in life. See, true conversion is, is born out when we see the change in a life. Anybody can pray a prayer. Anybody can pray a prayer and never be changed in their life. But you can't when you have an encounter with Jesus. When you have a genuine encounter. When he comes into your life, invades your life, and he changes you. And so what happens here is we see what Zacchaeus is is all about. He stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. He knew he was wrong, but he's going to make restitution. For him, it's not just, I'm going to pray a prayer and go back to my lifestyle that that is so offensive and hurtful to others. And and he says, basically, I'm going to give half of everything away and I'm going to repay people four times the amount. Now, there were different laws in the Old Testament about how much you had to, if you, you know, if, if you took something from somebody, you, you had to return it. In some of the cases, you had to add 20% to that. In some of the cases, um, you had to give double back what they did. And, and Zacchaeus is saying, you know what, I'm going to go beyond what the law would require me to do. I, I'm going to give to the poor, and I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to give more than the law demanded that I give to make restitution to people I've hurt. That's what we want to see. His misdeeds, his overcharging people, his cheating the system. By God's law, required restitution. He made, he went over and above that. His faith was demonstrated in the new life that he was living. He has a new heart. He has new desires. Do you have a genuine faith? A real faith 
a faith that's tangible, a faith that God would say, this is my child? Or, or are you, you know, kind of a nominal Christian and you, maybe you show up and maybe you throw a little money on the plate or something now and again? See, see the proof of the pudding is in the eating and, and to see what peop, what, what, how God changes our life. By faith, his life is, is new. He has a new heart, new desires, a genuine faith, but it's got to be seen in life. The, uh, James would say in, in, uh, in the scripture, faith without deeds is dead. It's not worth anything. You say, well, well don't, doesn't God accept us basically on what Jesus did and, and, and that alone? Absolutely. It's by faith, by grace, through faith alone. But when he touches our lives, we can't be the same. We can't go back and not have our lives change. God's intention for us is that we would be transformed. Uh, one of the churches that I'm going to be spending some time with their leaders, um, I, I have I taught their pastor since 2011, and um, we, we work to help establish a, a physical uh, building there. And there's a plaque on the inside of the name of, of uh, the church, and so many of these churches are called life transformation centers. I mean, that works with the, the government too because it's, it sounds less churchy, but, but it is. Life transformation center. This is a life transformation center. We don't come in here and go out the same people, I trust. But when, when God touches us, it changes our life. I went to school with a, a guy came to school after I'd started and uh, when I was in college, beginning to train for ministry, and I talked to him, and, and his name is Bruce, and uh, he kind of intrigued me. He was, he had like five kids or something. He used to ride a bike with a chariot, you know, those little things on the back, and you got two kids, and and uh, and I, I heard his story. He was in, he was uh, an outlaw biker. Uh, he he cheated on his wife. He did a lot of terrible things. Um, he, he sold contraband stuff. He was, he was in, involved in all of this stuff. And uh, he had an encounter with, a G, with Jesus through a Gideon Bible once. And his life was transformed. He became the husband and the father and the citizen and everything else that, you know, you can't go back to that old life. And, and I want to ask you a question. How has your life changed when you follow Jesus Christ, are you the same person, uh, or 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 are you or or has God radically changed you? Because His plan and His purpose is to make us like Jesus. And if we're not on that process, we need to check out our faith. Well, He has a new identity. He, here, here's what He says. Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham." A son of Abraham is like an Israelite, but it's not just an ethnic thing. It's a spiritual thing. Uh, a son of Abraham is to be a person of faith who follows God. And, and here's what he says. He, he said, this is, this is what God is all about, changing our lives. And, and he, he says, we, we looked the other week at uh, John 1, and he said, as many as received him, received Jesus, 
and, and believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority to be called children of God. He's invited us into his family. He has a new identity. He is true Israel. He is a true son of Abraham. And, and he de- Jesus declares that. <laughs> the community wouldn't declare that. But Jesus does that. And so here he is, previously excluded, now accepted and welcomed into God's family. Well, finally, is a, there's a mission of Jesus here. The mission of Jesus in the, the final verse, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. <laughs> Jesus said, here's my mission. Here's why I came. I came because people are lost. People are broken. Their their relationships are in terrible shape. There's there's disease and there's abuse and there's there's cheating and lying and hurting people, all of these things. And he said, I looked at the world and I came to save the world. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That, That which rebelled against God and moved away from God and didn't care about God. He came to seek and to save those. His whole purpose was to rescue people, rescue sinners, rescue uh, people who had rebelled against God and gone their own way and didn't care about him and hurt others and all the rest of that stuff. And he made a way for them to be forgiven. He made a way for them to be accepted and welcomed and granted eternal life so that they would live eternally with him. And he did that through what we call the gospel, the good news, that Jesus God the Son came and invaded our world as a human being, showed us what God was like, uh, loved us, cared for us, reached out and ultimately died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins that God could never forgive us uh, without somebody paying the penalty. And Jesus did that. And he went and died on a cross. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the death of Jesus in, in the bread and the cup as we remember his death and what he's done for us. Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus. But did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus was the one seeking. Jesus was the one who had to go through Jericho. Jesus was the one who had to invite Zacchaeus to come down and invite him to spend time with him. It was no accident. God was doing it. God wanted an encounter with him and to draw him to himself and change and transform his life. How about you? Are you there? Or maybe this is you know, new to you. Maybe this isn't something that you heard. But I want, to, I want you to know that, that whatever you thought, and, and I, I've... I, I've often said about Gerda, when when I I saw her, I wanted to date her. And I did everything I could to make myself attractive, which was really hard. Uh, I wanted to smell good and look good. I wanted to to, uh, be suave and debonair as a teenager. Yeah, there's only so much suave. But... I was going to win her. That's what I thought. I, I, and I've got to do all these things to win her. What I didn't know was she was working her stuff on me. This, you know, 
she didn't make herself unattractive. She was, she was, uh, you know, had a, a kind, gentle spirit that I loved about her. And there was, see, you know, if I think about the, our our coming together and, and and dating and and beyond, I think of what I did, but I don't really realize what she did. She bewitched me. <laughs> you know, and, and when you think of the story of faith, we think of what we did to earn God's favor, to, to become his children, what we did, how we pursued him. We don't realize he was pursuing us. Out of his love, he was seeking us, seeking the lost so that he might bring them to himself and save them and rescue them and change their life and transform them. And you don't realize, except when you look back, all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's what was happening in my life. He put people in your place. He put somebody in Gerda's life, a friend at school who was a Christian. Uh, he, through that, she came to our church. Through that, she came to faith in Jesus, but didn't realize that God was putting a person in her, in her way, in her life. Um, sometimes God takes circumstances. Sometimes he lets us go through difficult trials, and we, we don't know where to go. We don't know where to turn. <laughs> God, maybe God would be there. And so we don't recognize that he's the one seeking He's the one who loves us. He's the one who reaches out and invites us to come to him. And all the things that happen in our life, it's him. It is he who, who calls us. And, and you got some lost sheep with some people that, you know, he knows your name. He knows you. He knows everything about you. And he's reaching out to you. He's extending his arms. Would you, would you come to him? Would you open your heart to him? Would you say yes to him? And, 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 uh, and you can do that by praying. You can do that by praying and acknowledging before him that you're unworthy and that you have sinned and you have failed, but you recognize that Jesus Christ died a cruel death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that God could forgive us and accept us and welcome us to himself. And if we would acknowledge that and invite him and tell him that we put our faith and trust in what he's done for us, we step into the family of God. And, and, and you can pray that in your head quietly. And, and if you pray that today, would you come and share that with me after the service? We're going, to, we're going to come to the table now, and I'm going to ask our servers if you'd come and take your places here. Um, this is the opportunity we have. Jesus invited us to come to this table. It's interesting to me. Um, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus's. In this meal that Jesus puts on, uh, he invites us to come. And, and we said to, to sit at table with someone is to have intimate fellowship with them. 
And, and so when we pass the bread and the cup, the bread, which is a symbol of his incredible uh, sacrifice of his body for us. He sacrificed his body. When we take that bread, we remember what he did for us when he died on the cross. When we take that cup that represents his blood that was shed for us, uh, we, we remember that, that he did that to save us. And uh, this morning, we're going to bring the emblems out to you. We'll ask you to wait until everyone has been served and we will uh, we'll be served together. Uh, but uh, this is a, uh, a precious, precious time and, and a symbol of our fellowship with Jesus. And, and so uh, I just want to uh, read what the scripture says for us. And then we will uh, distribute the emblems. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is just hours from his going to the cross. He was sharing a meal with the disciples, and he said, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in the Father's kingdom. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. And Lord, as we take these moments now and reflect on what Jesus did for us, his love for us, Lord, for those who who need to know that at this table, even here, he extends his arms of love and grace to us. We thank you so much for that in Christ's name. Amen.